Though I have been told that the church is endlessly boring, I continue to find our life together fascinating, and our liturgical and scriptural readings full of surprises, a cause for wonder and celebration almost every Sunday. For example, the world seems to find the birth of Jesus a huge deal. And of course, the church does not neglect it. But biblically speaking, this Sunday, the baptism of our Lord is in many ways seen as far more significant. The birth of Jesus, scripturally, is only mentioned in two of the Gospels, Matthew and Luke. And the church did not begin to celebrate the birth of Jesus for some 300 years. And it did not become the overwhelmingly event, significant event that it is now until several hundred years ago. On the other hand, the church began to celebrate the baptism of Jesus from its very beginning. And his baptism is mentioned in all four Gospels and two other books of the New Testament, Acts and Romans. It is seen as a huge big deal. The world has just finished celebrating the new year. If you wished, you could turn on your TV and watch that celebration starting in Samoa or Australia and traveling all the way around the world with fireworks. And yet in the church, it's barely mentioned. Before you begin to believe that the church has become disconnected or lost its grip with reality, let me try using today's lessons to talk about some of these differences. Because if you look at the lessons chosen, the church is saying that this Sunday is an event as significant as the creation of the world. The first lesson chosen are the first verses from the book of Genesis. For heaven's sake, how could this Sunday be that huge an event? A clue. Have you ever been in total darkness? Total darkness? I thought I had been waking up in a room without a nightlight or lost in the woods on a starless night. But I had no idea until about 30 years ago when they were about to be closed, our family took a tour in the salt mines under Detroit. You get in the elevator and go down 1,200 feet to those salt deposits that have been there for 400 million years 
and stretch from Cleveland to Chicago. There's 1,500 acres of excavation and over 100 miles of roads. And we got into one of those salt trucks and had our tour. At some point, fortunately with warning, they turned out the lights. It was interesting at first, and then increasingly disorienting. The noises that you hadn't even heard before became thunderous and loud and disconcerting. And then you became frightened of your neighbor not very far away. You became disoriented, and it was hard to tell up from down, right from left. The ancients knew that kind of darkness. Not only the physical darkness, but spiritual, emotional darkness. So listen. Listen to those verses from Genesis again about the creation of the world. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Did you sense it? It's as if, in the beginning, you're standing in total darkness, knee-deep in the swamp, and the wind is blowing some something across your face and totally disorienting you. And then the gift of light, then the gift of light, but not only light, but life-giving order. God separates the light from the darkness. And the day, the day, the light, God calls day. And the darkness, God calls night. The ancients knew the darkness not only the starless sky, but war. Human relations got amok. Trying to survive when leaders refused to lead. Earthquake and fire. They knew how terrible it could be. 
And they saw God's creative power in showing a light, a right way, establishing order and connectedness. I need to tell you, 30 years later, I can still identify the joy, the comfort, the wonder when they turn the lights back on in that mine. Glorious. I don't need to be so frightened. Now, the New Testament writers found the moment of Jesus' baptism fit right into those metaphors. Remember your Christmas readings? The people who lived in great darkness have seen a great light. Out of total obscurity in Nazareth, Jesus wanders down the Galilean hills and as a huge surprise joins the crowd at the River Jordan. There's that crazy guy, John the Baptizer, and he's baptizing people for the forgiveness of sin. And Jesus walks into the water. The theologians tell us Jesus was without sin. So why in the world did he walk into that water? Their lives oppressed by sin, the oppression of Rome, darkness. And Jesus walks into that water as a way of saying, I want to identify with you in your brokenness. I want to be with you in your confusion and in your darkness. I love you in your brokenness. And then it goes on to say, the heavens opened and Jesus heard a voice saying, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. You know, if you actually went back and read that verse in the original Greek, what it really says is, the voice of God shone on Jesus. That is the coming of the light into the darkness with love, a sense of what is right and wrong, and a way out of the darkness. God does not only say to Jesus, you are my beloved. We hear that so we can hear it for ourselves. You, my son, are the beloved. You, my daughter, are the beloved. Right where you are, I am well pleased with you. 
And it doesn't actually say the heavens opened as it does in the other Gospels. It says the heavens are torn open. The book ends for this Gospel are the tearing open of heaven in the beginning and the tearing of the curtain in the temple in the end. You can't confine God to the temple anymore. You can't confine God to heaven anymore. It's as if it's saying, God is out there running amok among you, and you can't put him back. You're not alone anymore. In the 70s, you Prather wrote a book called Notes to Myself. This is a section from it which captures Jesus identifying with us. Listen for a moment. Ideas are clean. They soar in the serene supernal. I can take them out and look at them. They fit in books. They lead me down the narrow way. And in the morning, they are there. Ideas are straight. But the world is round. And a messy mortal is my friend. Come walk with me in the mud. Jesus gets out of heaven to walk with us in the mud. And he loves our muddiness. That's the light. In occasion, in confusion or chaos, in lack of direction, the light is you're not alone. Love sharing with each other is the light. Always so. So let me finish off with a story and then a poem. The story some of you may remember from West Wing. There's a guy walking along on the street. All of a sudden, a fissure opens up, and he falls into the hole. And its walls are so deep, he cannot climb out. A doctor walks by, and he shouts, help me, help me, I'm stuck in this hole. And the doctor looks in, takes out his prescription pad, writes a prescription, throws it into the hole, and walks on. Lest you think I'm hard on doctors, a priest walks by. <laughs> and the fellow shouts, help me, help me. And the priest writes out a prayer and drops it in the hole and walks by. And then a friend of this man walks by and he shouts, Joe, help me, help me. I'm stuck in this hole. His friend looks in and jumps into the hole. And the guy says, are you crazy? 
Now we're both stuck in here. And his friend says, yep, but I've been here before, and I know the way out. That's Jesus identifying with us. And what is the light in that? The poet Mary Oliver captures it succinctly for me. And she writes, to live in this world, you must be able to do three things. Three things. To love what is mortal. Isn't it easy to get cynical? To love what is mortal. To hold it against your bones, knowing your life depends upon it. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing that your life depends on it. And when the time comes, to let it go. In a troubled world, Jesus came, embraced us and our muddiness, and continues to hold on to us, but gently, forever.